in worship this morning, Sophia sang a song that is kind of the theme song for the series that we're in on the biography of Moses. It's called Egypt. So those of you that, that got here on time, you got to sing that song. <laughs> but come on, let's be honest, Granite Creek runs late, so some of you missed it. So I'll read the lyrics for you. A cloud by day is a sign that you are with me. We're going to be talking about this actually next week. The fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. These are things that actually happened. We'll talk about that. Because you stepped into my Egypt. What does Egypt symbolize for us? Slavery, tyranny, oppression, addiction, you name it. You stepped into my Egypt and you took me by the hand. And you marched me out into freedom. Amen? Into the promised land. And I will not forget you. God, I will sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. Beautiful, huh? Um... I love this song. I also love the song, the last song that Sophia sang. Isn't that a good song? I, I wonder who wrote that. Yeah. Sophia wrote that. I'm like, you should write more songs. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, these other songs are good, but yours is better. They're Granite Creek. Okay, although this, these are great lyrics, they're not 100% theologically correct. Let me explain. You stepped into my Egypt, you marched me out into freedom and to the promised land. So it's true, but we're missing a step. So before God's people could enter into the promised land, first of all, they were set free. They were set free from tyranny. They were set free from sin, bondage, oppression, and they were free. They, they went through that Red Sea. But they didn't go immediately into the promised land. See, that's what the song says. It's sweet. It's true. But they just missed a little important step. But before you go into the promised land, you first have got to go through the wilderness. You've got to go through the desert. You have to go through a dry season. It's not fun. It will stretch you. It will test your mettle. Your character will be challenged. You'll fall into doubt and fear and frustration and confusion. Well, that's all a part of God's plan. He wants you to go through those desert seasons. They're not fun, but they're required. You can't just jump into the promised land once you've been set free. You've got to do some purging. You've got to purge some spirits. You've got to purge some attitudes. You've got to purge some mindsets. You've got to release some of those sins that still bind us. That's what we'll be talking about today. All right, um, raise your hand. No, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand. Um, if you can relate to this, let me know somehow. <laughs> okay, I got If you've ever had this conversation in your mind, oh, God's never going to bless me. He might bless Pastor Josh because Pastor Josh is super holy. <laughs> God's never going to give me a breakthrough. He might do it for somebody else, but he can't do it for me. Because Murphy is always against me. If it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong to me. Have you ever had that type of a mindset? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, life is so hard. I just wish I could go back to high school. Uh, no? no? Okay. No, no one wants to go back to high school? Come on, there was always that one guy. There was always that one guy that after graduation, he would hang out in the parking lot waiting for school to be over. All right. Sometimes 
I wish I could go back to college. Life is so hard. It would be so much better if I could just spend the rest of my life in school. If I could just go back to college and live eternity at Westmont. Westmont is heaven on earth, everybody. Send your kids to that school. That one's, that's my favorite. All right. I, I, loved, I loved school. I loved college. I wish I could go back and spend the rest of my life there just, you know, right? Okay. Also, I mean, now if I'm honest with myself, it was the, it was the best time. It was also the worst time at the same, you know. So I, I, it, grass is always greener. But have you ever thought about going back in the past, the good old days? Remember the good old days? Remember how good the good old days were? They weren't that good. All right. You just, you just, you're, you're believing a lie. You think that they're good, but they're not that good. Have you ever done this one? Um, I don't know what happened. I was just driving down the road, minding my own business, behaving. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a tree pops up and hit my car. It's not my fault. Does that one make sense? Where deep down inside, you, you know that you messed up. You know that you foobed. And, um, and then it just kind of comes out. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm broke. I don't know how this happened. It's, it's, it's the governor's fault that I'm broke. Right? We just, I don't know how this happened. Just, I'm a victim here. It's not my fault that I'm overweight. How did all this food get in my mouth? I have no idea how it got in there. It's not my fault that I'm an alcoholic. It's just, my friends just keep on pouring beer down my throat. I don't know how that happens. It's not my fault. All right? Does anybody else do that besides myself? Okay, how about this one? Whenever my child, our child, Sophia, is acting up, I will go, Mako, your daughter is misbehaving. And then she'll, she'll store that information for later. And the next time Sophia is acting up, Mako will go, Josh, your daughter is acting up, right? So has anybody ever done that? Oh, yeah. Doubt. Fear, blame shifting, whining, griping, wishing for the past when God's given us a future. These are all things. These are all attitudes. They're all mindsets. They're all spirits or familiar spirits that keep us from entering into the promised land. Where do you want to go? You want to go to the promised land. You want to go to that land flowing with milk and honey. You want to you step into God's miraculous provisions and God's miraculous blessings where, where things, I don't want to say everything just goes right all the time, but you are walking in the security of the blessings of the Lord. And when, you, when you're in the promised land, there is a confidence. There is a, a spiritual authority. There is an inner strength, and we all need it. But in order to get from point A to point B, you've got to go through this desert season and have all of those negative attitudes and whiny gripes literally purged out. Another way to say it is it needs to die like dead. Our old ways of thinking when we complain about everything and we blame shift when everything goes wrong. We don't take responsibility for our own actions. That needs to die. And not mostly dead, dead. In order for God to allow us to step across the Jordan. Amen? And this is why it's important. So we're going to be talking about what not to do and then we're going to delve in a little deeper and try to figure out what to do. Last week, we did a little survey of the Ten Commandments. Um, God is 
pouring out to Moses the law, uh, instruction, instruction on how to live morally. So the, the, the Ten Commandments, those are what we call moral law. You know, this is how you behave. Don't be greedy. Don't steal stuff. Don't sleep around. Be faithful. Don't have any other gods above God. Don't create for yourself idols. These are moral law. But then God also gives Moses a set of civil law. So as a nation, as, as, the, as the newly birthed nation of Israel, this is how you are to act. This is how you are to behave. This is how you are to dress. This is how you are to look. This is how you are to eat. You have to set yourself out separately from the current culture because the current culture is desperately wicked. The truth is we're all desperately wicked too, so the Bible says. So we need to take practical, tangible steps to separate ourselves from a, this current evil age. So we get a set of uh, civil laws, moral laws, civil laws, and then ceremonial laws. He's going to go into depth on like what's important, like the details of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Indiana Jones' new movie just came out. The original <laughs> dealt with the Ark of the Covenant, right? Um, I, I geek out on that. Like that, that model in that movie is probably pretty dang close to what it actually looked like. With even the detail of the wings, you know the. Okay, you know, that, that lid in the Bible is pure gold. It's not inlaid gold. That whole lid is pure gold. It's called the mercy seat. And then the angel wings that come, they barely touch. Now, in our mind, we think that the presence of God, and they kind of do this in Indiana Jones. It's not accurate. But we think that the presence and the power of God resides within the box, now, the only thing that is in the box is a broken up law and Aaron's staff that budded and a jar of manna, bread from heaven that, that fed the Israelites. That's the only thing that's actually inside the Ark of the Covenant, not the power of God. The power of God, the, God, the power of God that created the universe, every known thing that we can see and feel with our bodies, every known thing created by God, he is present in that little tiny space where the angel wings barely touch. That's where God's at. Isn't that cool? Yeah. He doesn't like to be put in a box. Sometimes I try to tell God what to do because I think I know better. Yeah. You know how that goes. Okay. Sorry for geeking out on you, but like... All in that mountaintop experience, we get these three sections of what the importance of the law. When Moses comes down, we talked about this a little bit last week, but let's review it. Moses comes down off the mountain, uh, Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come and make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought, up, brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. I forgot one other dysfunction. Um, maybe you should raise your hand on this one. How many people are impatient? It's, a, it's California. It's a fast food culture. We want our blessing, and we want our blessing now. Wait upon the Lord? That's not in the Bible. <laughs> That's not a part of my theology. Wait upon the Lord? What? Uh, so, yeah, we see one of the first foobs right here. They can't wait for Moses to come down. He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights. Hasn't eaten, hasn't drank. He's getting direct download from, from God. Um, this time around, God is literally finger-writing the Ten Commandments on these two tablets, front and back. And they can't wait. They want their revelation now. Like, they paid for that prophecy conference. 
and they want to get a return on, on their prophetic investment. And they want it now. And so they're just, they're just going to go hire another god. They're going to have Aaron make it for him. Aaron answered them, um, you guys should not do this. This is a sin against the Lord. <laughs> Aaron answered them, take off all your gold earrings. Let's do this thing. I'll make you happy. I'll tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, Moses, that dude. So all the people took off all of their earrings, and they brought them to Aaron, and he took them, and he handed them, and made them into an idol, and cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are the gods of Israel who brought you out of Egypt. I don't, I mean, like, we don't have time to get into it, but after this incident, God's going to smoke a lot of people. Like, just read it. God's going to kill a lot of people. They need to kill 3,000 people coming up pretty quick here. I don't know why he does not kill Aaron. I would kill Aaron. I mean, just, okay, I'll tell you why. I do know why. Again, it's, it's, I like to tell God what to do. I'll tell you why. It's because Aaron is anointed. Because God anointed Aaron to be the priest. I don't know why he gets to, to like, do one of the worst screw-ups in biblical history. But Aaron is God's anointed one. He is God's mouthpiece. And it is by the grace of God only that God spares his life. Remember my little joke about, hey, that tree popped out of nowhere and, I, and, I, and it ran into my car. That's how that dent got there. Aaron does the same thing. Like when he gets called on the carpet about, you know, you know, Moses comes down the mountain like, why did, did you make this? Did you, you, you orchestrated this wild party here? And Aaron, say, Aaron says, it wasn't my fault. We just, we just threw some stuff in a fire and out popped this golden calf. I, I don't know how that happened, but it's not my fault. <laughs> the guy should have been killed, man. I just, anyway. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down, they ate and drank, and got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry? All right, let's see. Do we have any little ones in the audience? This is a nice way to... What? Oh, okay. <laughs> Love having kids. Okay, this is a really wild party. It is a really, really wild, crazy party. It's one that, uh, that no one should go to. <laughs> this party would make Isla Vista look tame. Ooh. Arla Vista was the big party school in Santa Barbara. Uh, what's the next big party school? Chico. They would put Chico to shame. Like this was a bad party. Debauchery at the highest level. And Moses comes down the mountain, sees it, and, uh, and loses his stuff. He, he, he gets mad, and he smashes the Ten Commandments, all right? Okay, catch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because, listen, <laughs> this is funny. Okay, go down because your people, <laughs> right? So even God's doing a little blame shifting here, right? Go down there because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, they have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them. And they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to sacrifice to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So we went from the Lord to gods. A new set of gods. Canaanite gods this time around. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. 
Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. He's saying, I'm done with these folks. Let's start all over. This is kind of pulling Noah here. And I'm going to make you, Moses, you and your kids will be the new great nation. I can't work with these clowns anymore. All right? This is interesting. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn burn against your people whom you brought out of slavery? Down to verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Moses and Joshua are now going to come down the mountain. When Joshua, uh, verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. They're coming down the mountain. God told Moses there's a party. Obviously, he didn't tell Joshua. Joshua has no idea what's coming down, what's going on right now. And he's like listening and he hears, you know, he hears Coachella going off. And he's like, there's a sound of war in the camp. And Moses replies, it's not a sound of victory. Oh, it's not a sound of victory. It's not even a sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And it's not the good kind. Moses is dealing with some stuff. It's somewhere in uh, 33, but um, Moses comes down. He's trying to put pieces together, trying to get the information, trying to keep his cool. And then Moses has a conversation with the Lord, and he flips it on him, like just like me and my wife do. And Moses says, your people (laughs) in whom you've entrusted me to lead, your people are being stiff-necked people. That's funny how that works, right? In Numbers, Numbers chapter 13, it's close to the same time period. Look, they've just gotten out of slavery. God's people have just been set free. They're wandering around in the desert. Not for very long. They, it's not, you could walk, I don't know. The scholars say that from Egypt to the Levant or Israel, you can walk there in less than 40 days. And it's, it's going to take them 40 years to get there. So they were close. They were at Kadesh Barnea. It's close. Moses sends Joshua and Caleb and leaders from the tribes into the promised land is scattered out to spy it out. This is what they came back with. They came back to Moses. This is chapter 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to him, to the whole assembly, and they showed him the fruit of the land. So these guys got to step in and experience the promised land, the land flowing with fruit and honey and what God promised. Hey, everybody, it's true. This isn't a fairy tale. This is a great place. They gave Moses his account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here's its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified, very large. And we saw descendants of Anak there. Who the heck are those guys? Mega, who's that? You don't know? (laughs) They're the giants. Yeah. 
those guys. The, the, all these bad guys live there. Then they kept on complaining, we can't do this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of that land and we can certainly do it. Amen? Because you see how he had to uh, like shock them into reality? They're complaining and they're saying, like, yeah, this is, it's, it's really nice there, but there's fortified cities. These people are very strong. There's a lot of bad guys, and like, there's giants, and we are grasshoppers in their sight. Like, we're nothing compared to them. And Caleb's like, no, 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 no. We can certainly do this. We can take this land. We can take possession of the land. It's ours. God said so. So let's suck it up. But they can't because they're stuck in a slave poverty mentality. They make excuses. They say we can't do it. They blame shift. They can't wait upon the Lord. They want instant gratification right here, right now. It is keeping them from entering into the promised land. It's just a simple mindset, but it is so hard for them to overcome. Okay, back to the, the wild party. Chapter 32, verse 30. Next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Interesting, right? You know that whenever we practice and receive communion, that is an, we're, we're, it's a symbolically spiritually true that we are it's an atonement for our sin so not only is moses beginning to um, highlight what jesus will do 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of god in the wilderness right we see him begin to talk like jesus would talk perhaps i can make atonement for your sins moses went back to the lord and said Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made for themselves a, a gods of gold. Okay, ready for this? This is Moses's, this is, his mo, this is the best moment. This is Moses' finest moment. Moses doesn't get any better than this in all of his journey and everything that he does. This is why, this is why we're studying the biography of Moses, of this, of this great leader. Somebody that was making excuses. I can't, I can't approach Pharaoh because I can't even speak correctly. I don't, have, I don't have the connections. I can't do it. Send somebody else. Don't, don't send me. Now he is stepping into a confidence, and he is, you know, he is, he's spent time with God, personal time with God. He split the Red Sea. Verse 32. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go and lead the people to the place I spoke, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague. Now, okay, just rewind real quick. Like God wanted to kill them all, right? Scholars debate whether God really wanted to do it. I mean, this is what the Word of God says. Um, scholars think that he was just working on Moses' character, he was testing Moses' character, much how God tested Abraham's character, you know, saying, you know, go and kill your son. Most scholars don't think that, that God would allow Abraham to kill his own son. So maybe that's what's going on here. We don't know. We don't know for sure. This is what the Word of God says. Like God was going to kill them all. And Moses steps in, and... It's a fancy word. He, fancy word. He intercedes for the people. 
He says, please, God. Yes, they are, they're, they're a horrible group of people. They're stiff-necked. They, did, they, they made those, those, those idols of gold. Even after you saved them from slavery, even after they experienced these incredible miracles, even after you've been providing for them over and over and again, they still did this. And yet, God, would you, would you forgive them? Would you forgive them of their sin? And then Moses takes it to a next level. In fact, God... Um, why don't, you just, why don't you just take me instead of them? I mean, this is the guy that was complaining about his speech. And now he has the fortitude to stand in front of God's presence and said, why don't you just kill me instead of them? Let them live. Give them a chance. Give them, there's, there's, there's hope for them, God. Give them a chance. Take, if you need to take somebody, if somebody needs to pay the price for their sin, take me instead. Do you see why this is Moses' finest moment? Because he's acting a whole lot like Jesus right now. Because of this, I believe we get chapter 3, excuse me, chap, um, yeah, chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me to know whom you will send with me. Okay, so Moses wants some encouragement. He'll get it. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. <laughs> like, these are your kids, God. <laughs> the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Isn't that? I just got shivers reading that just now. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Relationship. All right, so a little bit of a review. I'm going to wrap her up. How do we get into the promised land? Or a better way to say it, what is per, what's preventing us from crossing the Jordan and stepping into the promised land? Well, courage will get us there, but we've got to, we've got to get those blocks out of the way first. We've got to quit whining and quit complaining. We've got to quit saying... I wish we could just go back to Egypt. At least we had some fish there. I wish I could just go back into that slavery mentality. At least I knew what to expect. So we've got to, to, to purge. Like it, it might take some time. It took them 40 years for these people to die off. Now, I'm not saying that, that you need to die. I'm just saying that there's attitudes in you that need to die in the desert. Blame shifting. I don't know how this golden calf got here. I don't know how um, this idol got into my life. Remember last time we talked about what are idols? They're, they're tangible expressions of where our affections are. It can be a house. It can be a car. It can be a person. It could even be an American idol. We have a show for that. Like if those objects are interfering with the mystical relationship with God, you've got an idol. We love art in this church. Again, I love that painting. But you can't go into a relationship with that painting. You can't make it an idol. Our relationship with Jesus is an unseen one. He's a real person. 
His body is still there. He's got the wounds in his arms to show it. Maybe if you're really, really, really good, he'll leave the right hand of the Father and come down and have lunch with you. He can do that if he wanted to. But until the day of the Lord, we will not have the opportunity to see him face to face. Probably that's what was going on with Moses. We don't know for sure. But we have to not get caught up into materialism, right? We must worship the Lord. And how do we worship God? In spirit and in truth. It's an invisible faith that we have. I'm not saying that you don't go to Christian movies and you don't enjoy Christian entertainment. I'm not saying that you need to take down, you know, your Christian art in your house. Some of you have crosses and some of you have walls of crosses. It's not idolatry. It's it's bringing life and, and enjoyment into your home. But you can't worship that stuff. Impatience will keep you from the promised land. I just want to be blessed right now. And God, if you don't bless me right now, then I'm just not going to believe in you anymore. This is how it looks practically. God, your word says that if I return to you tithes and offerings, then you're going to return to me a hundred thousand million fold. That's what your word says. So here you go, God. I'm going to give you a buck. And then you come to church the next week. Where's my hundredfold? God, you disappointed me. You haven't been faithful to your own word. <laughs> and God's just like, just give me some time. Let's slow down, Jack. This is a, this is a process here. We got, we got, we got a, we, obviously, we've got some other things to, to teach into you. Right. Harboring bitterness, quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit keeps you from entering into the promised land. In my opinion, the spiritual promised land, well, there's a tangible promised land. It's called Israel. But for our purposes as well, it's dual. There is a spiritual promised land. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is so exciting. That's where we get to play. That's where we get to do what Jesus did. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. That's the promised land. That's what, we're, that's what we've been promised. We've been promised to do what Jesus does, and even greater things than Jesus does. I don't know how that works, but that's in the Bible. And you can't play if you're grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you are harboring bitterness to other people and when you're not offering them forgiveness and grace. And when you're bickering and fighting and complaining, you cannot enter in if you are grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved. He doesn't want to hang out with us when we're arguing with each other. Amen? Like, do you like to hang out with people that argue all the time? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't like it either. He's not going to hang out with you. Quenching the Holy Spirit is cramming God into your box, is telling God what to do. You have an agenda, you, you, know, you go through a study, you read your Bible, and then you begin to support your agenda with clips of Scripture here and there and some teachings here and there. Like you've got something, to, you want something, and you know how you're just going to come and you're going to prove it. Uh, or, or, you know, God wants to, to move in a certain way, and, and you're like, yeah, but God, I don't have time for that. Or God wants you to share your faith with someone and you're like, well, God, that would make me feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do that. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. That's telling God what to do or telling God, I don't want to do that because that's outside of my little theological box. So quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit will keep you from the promised land. I'm sure you can think of a million other things that's going to keep you from any negative attitude, any negative behavior that will keep you from entering into the promised land. Look, you're saved, right? 
Like we're all set, we've all been set free. If you haven't been set free, uh, come see me after the service and I will, I will introduce you to my Jesus. But I don't know, I'm checking you out. Looks like everybody's saved here. You're saved. But how long have you been wandering around in the desert? The Lord does not inhabit the whinings of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. And so how long has that sun been burning on you? How long have you been complaining about the bread from heaven that comes down and you're like, God, this is not enough? God, I'm kind of getting tired of this stale tasting blessing. How long have you been wandering around in that desert? You don't. You need. You, you, you know. You know. We you know why you do it. Now let's just talk for a moment on how to get out of it. All right, ready for this? Sometimes when we are stuck in the desert and the sun is beating on us and we're we're hungry and we're sweaty and we're tired of camping and glamping and sand's getting everywhere. Everything is just rubbing us the wrong way. Whenever we're in that type of a situation, your natural tendency, your fleshly nature is going to focus upon yourself. It's going to be introspective. Introspection will kill you every day. You can't be all consumed about your own emotional state all the time. I don't know if you saw it. But Moses has the key to breakthrough in this area. Do you think, okay, obviously Moses was having a hard time. He comes off the hill. He comes off the mountain. Like he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the God, you know, writing the law down, coming up with all these plans to form a moral, civic, and religious society. Like, he's got the blueprint. He comes down, and it's just this crazy party. Like, his mindset was a steel trap. Okay, yeah, he broke the Ten Commandments. He lost his temper, right? But then he held that thought, and he, he got back on the prize. What does he do? Does he start complaining to God? Well, a little bit, but, but, but what does he do? He does not turn towards his feelings, You guys got to catch this. This is so vital to the body of Christ. Like a lot of bad things are happening to Moses right now. His world is falling apart. And he chooses to intercede for others. Sometimes when we're always worried and focused upon our own problems, the best solution solution is to help somebody else with their problem. That's what God's prodding you to do. He's like, he's prodding you. He's like, you know, you need to quit focusing on yourself and you need to focus on what I'm doing and and who I'm trying to bless. I want you to bless who I'm blessing right now. So intercession, my friends, like, like what Moses does is he's standing in the gap. Intercession is praying for people that don't know how to pray for themselves. You have friends and family and coworkers whom God has his mark upon. He's, he, he's got a destiny for them. He's got a plan for them. They might not even know it yet. But chances are, your friends and your family, they are not praying for themselves. But God wants you to. They don't know how to come into God's presence and ask for the forgiveness of their sins. They don't even know that they're sinners yet. But you can do that. You can say, God, forgive them of their sins, for they don't know what they're doing right now. You can pray that prayer. Do you know one of the trippiest things about this this whole Moses' prayer life here? I don't know if you caught it. I don't know how this works. But Moses changed God's mind. That's how it reads. I don't know. It's like... I don't know. I mean, that really messes with the Calvinists. That even messes with the Armenians. Like, that, what are we supposed to do with that theological? This is what it says. You know, and God relented. Why? Because there was one man that stood in the gap that put his own needs above 
I mean, put others' needs above his own needs. Like, can you do that? Can you put your needs below somebody else's needs? You know how much power there is in that? It's the power to save a nation. Like Moses' step towards intercession literally saved a nation. His temptation was like, well, I can just go along with God and he's going to make me the father of a nation. We're just going to start from scratch. It will, I will be king. I will be, I will be like Abraham. And Moses is like, no, let's try and save these people. This is going to be a tough, tough thing for us in the future, for the church in the future. Because there's clearly people that we just don't want to save. Right? Is it just me? Like, there's some people that's like, yeah, God just smoked them. I don't like them. They don't agree with me. They don't agree with my politics. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They don't dress like me. But the person that steps into the promised land, the person that has a vision says, no, let's, let's, let's pray for those that don't know you. Let's pray for the salvation of every man, every child, every woman that we're in contact with. Let's stand in the gap. So in order to enter into the promised land, we need to be able to think and act and pray like Moses. And then the other thing that we need to do, purge out all that bad stuff, begin to adopt some healthy spiritual mindsets. We need to have the declarative mindset of Joshua and Caleb, saying that, no, this is our land. And we can certainly take it. So you have a destiny. You have a promised land. And you've got to take hold of it. You can't, you can't say, no, I can't do this. There's giants. It's impossible. Uh, this dream for my life is not going to happen. No, you have to hold that thought captive. And you need to be a Caleb. And you've you got to say, give me this mountain. Because Caleb said, no, we can take this land. Like, these guys aren't that big. We've killed giants before. We can do it again. Like, because because he had this mindset. And because Caleb had the spiritual gift of patience, 40 years later, he had his mountain. He had his blessing. And when all those whiny, complaining people finally died off 40 years later, they went, in, they went in strong. They went in with that spirit of Caleb. They took some names. They won the day. They reclaimed God's promised land. So you've got to be patient in order to step into there. You've got to be faithful. And you can't doubt. And you can't allow complaining to seep into your soul. Amen? All right, come, let's get the band. Sophia, come on up. Now, in the midst of all of this heavy dialogue between Moses and God's people and God himself and all of this scary stuff about God going to kill people, right? In the middle of all of this, in chapter 34, verse 5, the new vision. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Like the chapter earlier God's like, these are a stick-neck people. I'm done with them. Like, just right here. Like, just from, from one point to this point. Look at this, the character of God. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the heart of God our Father. Compassionate, full of love, slow to anger, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that's what he wants to do with us. Let's take our elements. This is the atonement for our sins.
This is the body of Christ. This is the bread from heaven. May it never become stale in your mouth. May you never complain about receiving the body of Christ. May you see the body of Christ as pure and spotless and sustaining everything that you need, even in the darkest of times, are all right here, locked up into the body of Christ. Receive the body of Christ. Without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Moses tapped into the very spirit of Jesus, saying, God, forgive them of their sins. Take me instead. And Jesus literally does it. Jesus died in our place. And without the shedding of his innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if I could have the ushers come to the front. Thank you, God, for this day, and thank you for our free country. I pray that you will bless our land. We love you, Lord. God bless you.